All right, Acts uh, chapter 4 tonight. We're going to tackle the first 31 verses, and my title is Be Ready. Be Ready. So we're going to take a look. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I don't normally do that, but I'm going to read the first 31 verses, I should say. And then we're going to discuss what I mean by Be Ready. So here we go. Chapter 4, the book of Acts, verse 1 says... And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, all of who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, well, what power or by what name did you do this? <clears throat> then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man... By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that, you, that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which, you, by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, By the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there was gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your service to continue to speak your word with all boldness while 
You stretch out your hands to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and anointed to speak the word of God with boldness. There's a lot in there. So what's taking place here? We know from the last time that we were together in the book of Acts in chapter 3 that Peter and John had been walking into the temple. They came across this man that was the lame beggar that had been sitting at this temple gate for now we know more than 40 years. They reached out and gave him a helping hand, the hands and feet of Jesus, and he was healed by the power of God. And then all the people that had gathered around that were witness to this, Peter got to preach to them, got to proclaim the gospel to them. And we read here in the beginning of this that some 2,000 people, bringing the number to 5,000 people, had been saved. And then after this, what happens? Well, none of the the, if you will, the, the, the higher-ups, the, the rich folk, the, the establishment, if you will, the Sadducees, they didn't like this at all. So what do they do? They arrest them, and they throw them in jail, and then they bring them before, really, the elders and the, the high priest. It talks about Annas, who was the first high priest under the Roman Empire, and you've all heard of Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time when Jesus was crucified, and then other members of their family. But what I think is so incredible about this is none of this stops Peter. None of this stops Peter, right? He was just preaching the gospel, seeing people saved. He gets in front of this, you know, what must have been intimidating audience that's filled with the, the family of the high priest at the time. And what does he do? He just continues to preach the gospel. Continues to tell them about Jesus. That was what's so beautiful there in verse 10. What does he say? Let it be known. This was all because of Jesus, the guy that you killed, that God raised from the dead. He's just preaching the gospel again, right? Whom you killed, God raised from the dead. It is because him and because of his name and the power of his name that this man is healed. Jesus, Peter just keeps coming at him. He doesn't back down. Even when his freedom is on the line, he's still just preaching the gospel. I just love that. He's with, with great boldness. But really, what I want to talk about tonight is is this whole arrest and what has taken place here. Because if you really think about it, you know, this is the first time since, since Jesus has ascended and they've, when I started this series, we talked about startups. When they're, they're in the early stages of the startup of the business of God, the church, if you will, Jesus has ascended. And for the first time, they're really experiencing persecution. They've been arrested and put in jail for their faith for speaking about Christ. The first instance we get in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, at the birth of the church, about persecution. And we know that this isn't the last, right? We know that all of the disciples faced tremendous persecution. In fact, all of them really were martyred, or at least most of them were martyred because of their faith. You know, Peter, I've said this before, they say through history that when Peter died, he He refused to be crucified like Christ, so they made him crucify him upside down. I can't even imagine the pain that comes with that. I mean, when they crucified someone, remember, you know, one of the things that kept you alive is you were able to push up, you know, off of your feet that had been nailed to the cross and would allow you to breathe. I don't know what you do when you're upside down. I mean, think about the torture there. So this is not 
the last time that they will have persecution. And of course, we know that the Bible in the Old Testament is filled with persecution as well, right? We could talk about Daniel and the lion's den stories we're very familiar with, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and that furnace. We could talk about Job. I mean, Job, you talk about persecution. God allowed Satan the opportunity to, to sift Job. And even Nehemiah, when he was rebuilding the wall, undergoing much persecution. And we're not immune from it today either. Okay, sometimes we may believe we are, but we're not immune from it today. The Bible is very clear. If you went to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it would tell you that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, think about that. Will be persecuted. And we see this, don't we, today, playing out all over the world. I mean, if you look in places like North Korea and in China and Iran, and Iraq, and in Egypt, you can just see the church just being persecuted in the most horrific ways, can't you? I mean, it's all the time on the news. If you just do a Google search for persecution of the church, you're going to come up with all kinds of just horrible story after story. But we're starting to see more of this persecution. Maybe not the same way. Maybe not at the risk of your life. Although I could argue that some forms of persecution that fall short of that could even be worse if you believe Apostle Paul who says to live is Christ but to die is the gain. So if you believe that, okay, death may be the way out. All right? But we're starting to see it here in the U.S. More and more persecution. I mean, I was thinking about it as I was preparing this. If I would have been talking about this in the context of this chapter 10 years ago, when you were reading this, this would have no relevance to you. You wouldn't. It would be like a world away from you. Honestly, if I only went back five years, you probably have very little relevance. The, the idea of being persecuted for your faith in the United States would have just been foreign. To all of us, especially 10 years ago. But I can remember even when we started this class, I can remember four and five years ago when, we, when I would stand up here and say, it's coming. It's going to come. I'm telling you, it's coming. Okay? We wouldn't have near the context that we have today. It takes on a whole new meaning because today we're seeing it more and more in the church, in the, in the United States. I could give you all kinds of examples. I pulled page after page after page after page. At the end of the movie that I really like, God's Not Dead 2, they, they scroll 38 cases, <clears throat> 38 court cases that cover all kinds of things. I mean, you can imagine that it, it, it has a lot of it deals with abortion and forcing people to, to participate in abortion. It's been the front page of the newspaper for the last few weeks talking about someone, an immigrant, and whether the state can force uh, our state government to allow her to have an abortion. There's numerous cases on this. And of course, same-sex marriage, there is case after case after case after case. But there's other things too that I found through there that was you know, maybe even a little bit more alarming, like a fire chief in Atlanta who was, who was fired because he wrote a book about godly marriage in his own time was fired because he wanted to, to, to put forth something to help people to be more godly in their marriage. He was fired. Or this one, there was a counseling student at Augusta State University who was told that she could not graduate because her Christian beliefs were unethical and incompatible with the prevailing views of counseling profession. And they told her that unless she denounced her faith, her beliefs, she could not graduate. 
I mean, think about that. Or the New Jersey teacher that I read about who was suspended for giving a student a Bible. Or something that's been in the news a lot lately, a a football coach that walked out onto a field and, and kneeled to pray on his own, by himself, not impacting anyone, not asking the team to come over or anyone, was, was suspended, placed on leave. They told him he couldn't do that because he was a representative of the school or the military. I, I preached a, a message at a church in Waco not too long ago uh, about persecution in the military. And I had all kinds of examples where someone was court-martialed because they had a Bible verse on their desk that said, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. They refused to take it down and they court-martialed them. Uh, Or a captain that was reprimanded because they went to the National Day of Prayer wearing a uniform. Couldn't do it, they said. Or this one person, a girl that was forced to remove a a plaque that was on uh, her desk uh, that said, God bless America. They wouldn't let her put it up. And I could go on and on and on and on. In fact, I saw just a couple of weeks ago a headline that said, Trump tells hate group Americans worship God and not government. So I read that, and I kept seeing it kind of cycle through, and I never clicked on it because I thought, wow, this is, sounds crazy. I mean, first of all, I, I really kind of believe that, right? We worship God and not the government. But honestly, I was thinking, okay, what crazy thing has Trump done now? And uh, I just finally had to just click on and see what was going on here. But I was really shocked when I realized what they were talking about. I don't know if anybody read this article, but the group that he was addressing where he was talking about this was the Family Research Council. And I don't know if you're very familiar with the Family Research Council, but it was founded in 1980 by Dr. James Dobson, okay? And James Dobson founded this after a night at the White House with then-President Jimmy Carter talking about prayer, and this is where this organization was founded, and, and it represents godly principles. It just represents the Bible, the truth of Christ. And this is the hate group that he was addressing. Now, you could, we could gloss over that, but I'm going to tell you, that's a big, big, big headline. And the underlying story is really scary. Because think about what the media and, and others that are against the church are trying to do. I mean, you can kind of just see it in that, right? They're trying to just set this up so that if you believe in God, you hate. And they're doing it almost with just an anger and a vengeance. I mean, sometimes I, you know, I, like I told you before, I'm not much for social media, but sometimes I'll click on Franklin Graham's um, his feed, and I'll look at the people that respond. And it's just such anger. I mean, such hatred. I mean, it's not, I disagree with you. It is, I am going to annihilate you. I want to get rid of you. I mean, it's like they're coming after us with just this rage. And you can see it boiling. And I'm telling you, it's going to get worse and worse. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. I mean, not only did I give you the the, the scripture from 2 Timothy, I could give you so much more. Even the words of Jesus were in John chapter 16. What does he say? In this world, there will be trouble. There will be sorrow. There will be tribulation. In Matthew 15, this one really speaks to me. And I I think about it all the time where he says, listen, if, if the world hates you, remember they hated me first. Because if they love you, then what? You're of the world. And I took you out of the world. So what is he really saying there? He's saying, listen, be careful because if you're fitting in and the world's loving you, maybe you're not 
following me. Maybe you're not of me. And in fact, if you go on into that scripture, he even says again, if they persecute me, they will also persecute you. So what Jesus is trying to tell us is don't be surprised if this happens. If you're a follower of Christ, don't be surprised when persecution comes. That's really his, his message for us. And you know, I started thinking about you know, why does it happen to some and not others? And I started thinking about what I always refer to as the Sunday Christian. Or the Saturday night Christian. I'm not trying to pick on Sundays. Okay? Could be the Saturday night Christian. And how do I define this Christian? Well, it's someone that will follow Christ as long as the risk doesn't outweigh the reward. I mean, think about that for a second. It's someone that will follow Christ as long as the risk doesn't outweigh the reward. Because it's like in everything in life. We're happy to do whatever it takes as long as it doesn't cost anything. I mean... No question in my mind that I can get anybody to volunteer, to serve, to witness, to disciple, as long as it doesn't cost them anything. As long as it's not hard for them. As long as there's not any risk. But listen, if you're a Luke 9.23 follower, if you're willing to, to deny yourself and take up your cross every single day and follow Him, persecution is going to come. It's just part of the deal. It's not the church deal. It's part of the deal, the follower deal. I'm reading a book by Todd Wagner called um, Come and See, where he talks about the church. <clears throat> I read this to Aaron because I found it just so uh, interesting. And he describes this Sunday Christian in my mind, or the Saturday night Christian. He says it's, it's this, this group that has made a deal with the church. He calls it the church deal. And this is how he defines it. He says, members agree to validate pastors and leaders by showing up fairly regularly agreeing to pay enough offerings to keep the lights on and keep weekly activities operational. And in return, pastors agree to preach civil, encouraging, self-help messages, never asking too much of those attending. Well, that's not the deal we're talking about, okay? You may be able to escape persecution if you're, if you're not a true follower of Christ. Let me tell you what, you may be able to do it. But let me tell you, there's a whole other road that you're going down that leads to all kinds of death and destruction. It is only temporary that you will avoid it. If you're a Luke 9.23 follower of Christ, you are going to experience persecution. You are. And I'm preaching really to myself because I think about how much I spend of my life and my day. And every night we get together as a family and we pray. And, I, and, and it's almost, I hate to say it, a little bit robotic sometimes because we pray the same prayers every night, basically. I mean, we try to add it up. We're going to start the popcorn prayer, I think, coming up pretty soon. But it's generally the same prayer. God, please protect this house. Protect this family. Thank you for their health. I never take that for granted. Thank you for your health, our health. Bless us. You know, it's just like we, we long for the safety. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But we can't be blind to the fact that it's going to come. If we're, if we're following Christ, it's going to come. There's going to be persecution. I feel it in my own life. I just sense it so much. I sense it in the companies that I'm involved with. I can just tell it's about to come. Every time I interview somebody and I'm just trying to figure out how to tell them that I'm a Christian, I see it's coming. I know it's going to come one day. There's going to be a day where I tell them about my faith and they don't like it and they go out and they file a claim or they call somebody or they post it on social. I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And I need to be ready for that. That's where my title comes. I need to be ready for that. And I think that in looking at this scripture, there's three things 
that I want us to think about, about how to be ready. How to be ready for persecution. If we know it's going to come, I hope I've convinced you, if you're a follower, it's going to come. So shouldn't we be ready? How do we be ready for that? Three things. The first thing, don't forget God. Now, that sounds kind of crazy to say, doesn't it? Don't forget God when it comes. I mean, it's our greatest, it's our greatest weapon. It's our greatest defense is God. And I love it here in this chapter in verse 8 when it says, Then Peter, what does it say? Filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't do anything until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God. But so often in the midst of persecution, we forget about God. It's just kind of easy, too, to be honest with you, because there's this natural tendency when you're being persecuted for your faith to run to the world. Because that's where the safety in that moment lies, right? That's what they want you to do. If they're coming at you for your faith, let me tell you, where they're trying to push you is to the world, to give in, to give in. Or the other part of that might be that you turn to yourself. It's not God that you're turning to. Aaron was talking about this a few minutes. We're turning to ourselves. I will tell you that this is something I struggle with. You know, I'm a type A person. You give me a problem, I solve the problem. Okay? But if that's taken to the extreme, then I'm just relying on myself. And it's good to remember. It really is good to remember in the midst of persecution that we're not fighting people. The press, the media, that's not what this is about, right? has nothing to do with who's the, the voice uh, or the, the circumstance of the persecution. No, Paul tells us in Ephesians what it is. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's Satan. It's what Jared was talking about. His whole mission is to destroy. Charles Spurgeon said once, we are engaged in a work so spiritual, so far above all human power, that to forget the Spirit of God is to ensure defeat. To ensure defeat. It's just not something that we can win on our own. Can't happen. And I think it's really interesting that if you looked in verse 13 when Luke is writing, that he, he included this. He said, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. I mean, these guys had no business doing this. Honestly, they had no business healing people, preaching the gospel at, the, at the, the, the Jewish temple, standing up before Caiaphas and Annas. They had no business doing this. They're just a couple of fishermen. But they're filled with the power of God. And when you're filled with the power of God, you can do extraordinary things. He can do things far beyond whatever your human ability is. So when we go to ourselves, we're, what are we doing? We're forgetting God. When we go to the world, we're forgetting God. So first thing to do, don't forget God. Second thing, don't forget the truth. Speak the truth. One thing about the truth is people can believe it or not, but it doesn't change the fact that it's the truth. And an always a good place to start when you're speaking the truth is your own story. Because I'll tell you, no matter how this world wants to try to redefine truth, they can't change your story. Just remember that. No matter how they want to redefine it, they cannot change or deny your story. And that's what Peter said here. He said in verses 19 and 20, he said, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's your story. 
So when you're in the middle of persecution and you're thinking about this and it's scary and you're saying, listen, how do I do this? How do I speak truth? How do I talk about God's word? Just tell them about you, what God's done in your life. Because let me tell you, if you're a follower, a true follower of Christ, the, the gospel of Christ, the story of salvation is going to be written all over your life. All over your life. And every ounce of your story is going to be the truth of the gospel. So speak truth. They can't argue with that. They can't argue with that. They couldn't argue with this, right? They said, we give up. We can't dispute what you saw. It was you. It was your story. I can't change your story. I can debate a lot of things, but I can't dispute or change the fact that God changed your life. Tell them your story. Speak truth. And don't forget, though, to speak truth in love, right? Speak truth in love. What is Ephesians 4.15 says? That very thing. Speak truth in love. You know, I was asked recently, I was talking about a, a company, and we're opening a bunch of offices all over the country, and somebody asked me, what's the biggest problem you think they'll, that'll come up? And I said, well, it'll be personnel. It'll be the fact that I've got hundreds of employees all over the United States, and it's just hard to deal with the personnel. And they said, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, I'm going to create a culture of servant leadership. We're going to respect people. We're going to care for people. We're going to love people. We're going to treat people like Jesus would treat people, and we're going to just know that they're going to do their best, and that we're not going to have those problems. And they said, well, how do you really know that? And I said, well, I'll tell you how I know that, because the Bible tells me that love conquers all. Amen. Right? Love conquers all. So whatever you do, when you're telling your story, when you're speaking truth, do it in love. Do it in love. And really, I think a great example of this is here in verses 29 and 30. A great picture where he says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, to speak in truth, while you, God, stretch out your hand to heal. I love that. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, let us continue to speak truth. But God, as we do, you heal. Heal us. Heal them. Speak truth. The power of love. Loving others, it just has such power. It can just change lives. Showing people the love of Jesus. Don't forget the truth, the love of Christ. And the last one, don't wait. Don't wait to be ready. Be prepared. I'm not an Alabama fan, but I was a Paul Bear Bryant fan. And he said once, it's not the will to win that matters. Everyone has that. It is the will to prepare to win that matters. I mean, listen, this is my whole message, okay? This is the whole thing that I wanted to get across, and I hope I've done it, is this. You are going to experience persecution. If you're a follower of Christ, you are going to experience persecution. Some may be experiencing it now. You may be in the midst of it. So I think you have two choices. You can either prepare for it, be ready now, or you can resign to the fact that you're going to fail. You can resign to the fact that you're going to fail. Hear that. You can either be prepared or you're going to fail. Hard to say, hard to hear, but very true. I found this quote from Ben Franklin. It said, by failing to prepare, you're preparing to fail. You're going to fail. And let me assure you that the other side, Satan, they're prepared. They're coming after you. They're organized and they're ready. And if you resign to the fact that you're not going to get prepared to, to, to battle and be ready and you just resign to the fact that you're going to fail, I just can't do it, then you better get ready for a beating. That's all I can say is you better get ready for a beating. I saw recently my friend Brandon Bowers tweeted out, he said, grow or die. 
Grow or die. That's kind of the way I feel about being prepared for suffering. Grow or die because Satan is out to destroy. The Bible tells us he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He's ready. So if we want to prepare, if we want to be prepared, I've got some sub points within my three. I've got four things I want you to think about. The first one is, if you want to be prepared, then it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. Look what happened when they prayed here. It says that the built that shook, shook the room. God moved, filled them with the Holy Spirit. There is never, ever, ever a bad time to pray. You know, they say that you're either going into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out. Well, all three of those are good times to pray. Before, during, and after. And that's not all that they did. That's not all the disciples did to get prepared. If you looked back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, They devoted, devoted themselves to prayer and teaching and fellowship. They were preparing way before. They were getting ready. Prayer, teaching, fellowship. My second one would be studying God's Word. That's what the teaching and learning is all about. That's what we do this for. Memorizing Scripture. There's no better way to fight Satan. No better way in the midst of that persecution than to be recall Bible verses. I mean, what did, what did Christ do when He was in the desert? Recalling Scripture. There's power in the Word of God. The third thing, spend time with Jesus. Isn't it cool there in verse 14 it says that they recognized they had been with Jesus? Man, I love that. Isn't that what you want people to say about you? I know that's what I want them to say about me. I want them to say, there's Scott Olson. He's been with Jesus. I can tell. I can just tell he's been with Jesus. Just for the way he carries himself, the way he speaks to people, just the smile on his face, the joy in his heart. I can tell he's been with Jesus. There's just no better way to get prepared than spending time with Jesus. We should all think about trading some of those hours, as Jarrett was talking about, in front of the TV or reading the newspaper or social media. Trade it for time with Jesus. I mean, I, and I, I include myself. I thank God some days, for, or every day probably, for the ability to teach. Because honestly, if I didn't, I could just see. I honestly could see how life would just carry me away. I mean, this forces me to do it, and we all need something like that. We all need something in our life, some discipline to get time with Christ. There is just no substitute. I try to instill this in my children. Find the time for Christ. It's, it's hard to, to talk to a 10-year-old and say, go spend time with Christ, but there's no better time to learn, and there's no substitute for time with Jesus. And the fourth thing there is fellowship. Talked about prayer, teaching, and fellowship. This, surround yourself with believers. There's no substitute with fellowship with people of God. And, you know, I, I, get, I look, talk to people all the time, and I know they're busy, and they talk about, oh, we go to church, and I barely have time to make it to Bible fellowship. And I'm just like, add to it. Don't just do that. Find you a couple of small groups. This shouldn't be all you do. Church shouldn't be all you do. You need to have two or three groups. And I don't care if that takes up all your free time. So what? You need it. We all need it. We, I, was, <laughs> I was sitting with a pastor's wife not too long ago, not from here, from another church, and they were talking about how they thought that they had just overworked their kids in church. And I just had to just, I just couldn't say anything because I didn't want to start an argument at the table, but I just so desperately wanted to say, that's the craziest thing I ever heard in my life. Don't let Satan tell you that. Don't let Satan tell you that. There is never a, a way that you can spend too much time with God. It is just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen because let me tell you, Everything in your life is pulling you away, I promise. If I sit down with every one of you and we talked about what goes on in your life, everything is pulling you away from God. You cannot focus too much on your time with Jesus and your time with others because iron sharpens iron. That's what we all need. 
And listen, Satan wants to isolate you. Anybody ever experienced that? He wants to isolate you. Because when he can isolate you, he can, he can confuse you, create chaos in your life. That's why it's so important. So important. Don't let him do that. Spend time with people. We've got to be ready. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming. William was asking me not too long ago about Rocky movies. He's like, are those good movies? Everybody knows Rocky. So you remember Rocky Three with uh, uh, Mr. T? Oh, man. Let me tell you what, I, that movie got me fired up. I could really get some working, in, working out going on with the Rocky Three when he's getting ready and running on that beach and going back to the gym. It was just incredible, right? But what happened to, to Rocky in that first fight? Oh, my. He almost got killed, right? Because Mr. T, that was a bad dude doing those pull-ups with the, the one finger and the rope. I mean, anybody think they can do a pull-up? Let me tell you. Not easy. Not with one finger I can tell you that he got murdered right why because he wasn't prepared he wasn't prepared and let me tell you the the enemy that we face much tougher than Mr. T coming to devour you so we got to be ready that's my message we got to be ready but I also I think it's important to remember that we need to be encouraged you know I I had Spencer or I asked Spencer to sing that song he'd say I had not Sing that song, God of All My Days, because it's just a beautiful song to me. And it's just a reminder that God is always with us. There's so many great lyrics in there. It says, each step I take, you make a way. God, isn't that just, a, a, just so reassuring to know that whatever we're in, you know, the same God that delivered Daniel from the lion's den or was in that furnace, I mean, it's the same God. His power hasn't changed. Same guy. He says, in my worry, God, you are my stillness. In my bondage, you are my freedom. In my weakness, you are my power. You're the God of all my days. Whatever season, the good and the bad. Our mighty God, he is always, always with us. And it kind of goes back to my first point. Don't forget God. Don't forget God. Don't forget the truth. And don't wait. We've got to be ready because there's tribulation I promise you it's coming. If you're going to take a stand for Christ, it's coming. But be encouraged because remember this. Right after in John 16 when he says, In this world you will have tribulation. What did he say after that? But take heart. What? I have overcome. Just like the song, that victor's crown that we sang. It's a great song. You have overcome. It's a great promise. It just is a great promise that the world can never destroy us. We know the ending, right? We win. Don't forget God. Don't forget the truth. And whatever you do, don't wait. Start getting ready now. Amen? Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for the way you speak to us and teach us. God, I pray, Lord, that we would just listen to you. Lord, that we would take time to spend with you in prayer, in your Bible. Lord, help us in, in the days ahead, Lord, as... We see more and more persecution of your church here in our own land. God, I pray that you would give us the boldness of Peter and John. God, let us always remember that you're with us. And Lord, let us not ever think it's about us and turn to our own power and strength, but to remember that it is in your power, in your strength, that we can do all things. Lord, I pray, God, as we're out living our lives, Lord, that we would just shine light into this darkness in the midst of 
darkness and persecution and Satan ruling over this world and, and creating such chaos, God, we can bring order in the name of Jesus, God. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us great boldness, great wisdom. Protect us, God. Protect us as we go into battle. Lord, give us a platform to make a difference. And Lord, when you do, God, I pray that each and every one of us would have the courage to seize that moment. In Jesus' name, amen.